um, everybody. Hopefully, everybody's had a chance to um, uh, have a think about that question. I just want to dive straight in um, and speak uh, to uh, uh, Rick, who's provided an answer. Let's get Rick on. Hi, Rick. Can you hear us? Yeah, I can. You hear me, Ryan? Yeah, good. How are you, Rick? I'm doing well. Yourself? Yeah, good. Thanks. I mean, really interesting, Rick. You're, you're obviously from from the from the states, um, um, and I guess you, how far would the notion be of America producing a Ballon d'Or winner? How far away is that from reality in terms of where American people uh, and involved in football soccer are, uh, are thinking? <laughs> I most Americans don't even know what that is. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> so, so sorry. Go, go do, do you want to share your answer of the question with Dan then, and we'll get uh, we'll get a bit of interaction. Yeah, I my thought was that you just identify what the criteria is for the people that are voting for this award, and then you kind of reverse engineer it. It's kind of not fair because if if you look at it only from the Premier League, well, Mo Salah was the Golden Boot. I mean, he's just dominating, but that isn't the only criteria obviously you know then you got to look at well what did what did Messi do well he they beat Brazil in what was, was the uh Copa del Rey which they had not done so there's that's that's a huge um tick box you know so I'm just that was what my thought was How, who's determining that they're going to be the golden boot person, and what are the, what are they measuring? And then maybe you can reverse something from there. Mm. Dan, what, what what do you think to that? No, I think they're excellent points. I think um, in terms of, um, I guess, you know, aside from say Messi, um, you know, you look at the Portuguese. You know, why is it that the Portuguese and the South Americans have been dominant, if you like, in terms of um, outstanding individuals over the last 15, 20 years? What is it that, um, what is it about their formative years? What is it about their development? What is it about their coaching system that um, does that on a consistent basis, I guess? Um because I think once we can, you know, because, you know, we're a nation which, you know, we've got a big population, you know, we're, we're obsessed with football in this country. Um, you know, the, um, the Euros, for example, you know, Gareth did a fantastic job, um, you know, with penalties, penalties uh, kick away from winning the Euros. Um, but then all you hear afterwards is, England doesn't have a Verratti, a Jorginho, a Modric, um, a Pedri. You know, so we you know we have a different type of midfielder. But why is that? Because I certainly see those types of midfielders. You know, at younger ages. Um, so, you know, how can we have those um, on a regular basis? Or is it not part of our culture to have those? Rick, do you want to come back to Dan on those points? Yeah, I, I, that's a real good point about the culture. You know, the South Americans are always, you know, are they have to be a little bit more about themselves. They come in from the poor. They're, 
you know, they still have the family atmosphere, but now they're trying to get their families out of poverty and soccer is the way to do it and, or football is the way to do it. And, and so, you know, is that a significant part of culture in the UK? You know, it doesn't, I, I don't hear it as being part of that culture that the poor are, you know, so devoted to football that that's how they're going to get their family out of the poor. So anyway, that, that was, it was interesting that you said that, but yeah, is it part of the culture in, in America? Yeah. It's, it's about being bold, you know, but then being in Asia, the nail that sticks, sticks up gets hammered. So they're not, you're not going to see one come out of that culture. <laughs> it's an interesting point. Danny. I mean, we were talking just off air previously about Brazil and the three P's that are, are, are required that are prerequisite for producing a, a Ballon d'Or winner in your opinion. Yeah, I mean, um, we were just talking before around, um, you know, in Brazil, they say they have uh, population, poverty and passion. Uh, but I think as well, what they have is role models going way back. You know, obviously you can go as far back as 1970 <coughs> in Pele, but even since then, the 1982 team that refused to win ugly, you know, they, they were a team that once saw the game as an art form. Um, and then you had the likes of Romario and Ronaldo and um, the Brazilian Ronaldo and um, Rivaldo. And, you know, you can, you can go on for, for so long. And then, you, you know, if you were to go into the Argentina training centre, you know, you would see on the wall Maradona, Messi, Redondo, Artega, Crespo, Batistuta. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. Dybala. Uh, um, so... Um, you know, they've got outstanding role models that they're, the next generation can look up to and they're the, they're, that's who their role models are growing up. And, um, you know, we used, to, we used to talk to the England boys about this. Um, we used to do an exercise, actually, um, with, um, you know, you mentioned the, uh, the group that went on to win the World Cup. So when they were under 15s, uh, we asked them to name their World eleven. And we said, you can pick any players you want, pick your world 11 um, and you have to pick yourself and you can pick a subs bench. But then they, then they had to write next to the name why they picked that player. OK. And, um, you know, when you then put the sheets on the floor, there wasn't there could be 10 teams laid on the floor and there might only be one or two English players. Yeah. And they would have been a Gerard <laughs> or a, a, a John Terry. And next to it would be like leadership for example, which obviously leadership is an outstanding quality. Um, but then against the other players from other countries, it would be about skill and flair and things like that. And, you know, with we, we, the, the point of the exercise was, um, you know, that the aim is in 10 years time that when, when we're sat, stood here in front of the, the under 15s in 10 years time and you're 25, 26, they write your name down, um, you know, and what's it going to take for you to be on that sheet of paper? Yeah. Um, and that could well happen, you know, with your Foden's and Sancho's of this world. Absolutely. Um, and like I said before, you know, E-Triple-P has um, helped a lot. Um, and coaches are, I'm seeing a very creative youth coach now in this country. You know, every week we come up against different systems. Mm. You know, there's a lot of bright coaches in this country. Um, and, uh, and that's not to say there wasn't before, but 
for some reason before your Joe Coles, your Glenn Hoddles of this world. Yeah. They didn't quite, you know, get to that next bit of, uh, of what we're talking about, you know, because I believe the players have always been here. Mm. Um, no, spot on. Th thanks, Rick. That was, um, that, that was really, really interesting. Uh, there's been another another comment on it from uh, from Ashley. Um, uh, more of a question than a comment. Uh, and do you think we will have a Ballon d'Or winner in the next five years? And if so, what type of player would you <laughs> guess that it would be? Would it be a technician or would it be a goal scorer? I guess a goalkeeper could be thrown in there as well. So if we are mm. to produce, I, I think it's a good question, that, Ashley. Mm. If we are to produce a Ballon d'Or player, what type of player, potentially what position that might be, English Ballon d'Or winner? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we've had outstanding fullbacks um, in the last few years. I yeah. mean, um, you know, we we you know we've got a, a real. Um, we've got a lot a lot of fullbacks. Yeah, we've got a lot of fullbacks, <laughs> and obviously fullbacks of um, you know, with with systems changing, they they've mm -hmm. become a big part of the team. So. Um, you know that that could be one area. Um, you know, I mean, it could be it could be anywhere really. I mean, we've got an outstanding centre forward at the moment. Um, you know, he, 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 you know, he keeps scoring on on the world stage, and um, so yeah, I, I'm very optimistic that we can. Um, mm. I, you know, I think what it takes is um, you've got to be delivering in Champions League semi-finals and finals, and um, and again. We're very fortunate that the English clubs in the last few years have done extremely well. So, um, you know, I'd like to think we will. Um, look, looking at the profile of player we have, um, I'd probably say it would be in a wide area, whether it's fullback or winger. Um, you know, or you know, more so than sort of down the middle. Yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned you know one or two players there, like like Foden, for example, who was almost. Pre-Euros, you know, you know, the Gaza haircut, all of this type of stuff, you know, trying to really be elevated into this potential, you would say even potential Ballon d'Or winner. Um, that seems to have evaporated a little bit, perhaps, that, that sort of idea what of... his hair? Right? His hair, yeah, yeah, probably. It's the bleach. It's the bleach. Um, uh, as, as a result, you know, result of whatever, you know, in terms of the ideas of grandeur, of him operating at that absolute top mm. level... Um, so uh, I, I think you made a few comments there, but so I guess what I, I, let's reverse the question back onto you. What do we actually, what do you think we need to do to get a Ballon d'Or winner? Because I think you're right. There's been players, you know, certainly through through my you know, Gascoigne. You know, you would say he was absolutely one of the world's best. Um, you know, we've had players previous to that Hoddle. You know, we've had we've had top top players, but at the same time, if you're really looking at it, the cold like a day have not been at quite the same level as the mm. people that have actually gone on to win Ballon yeah. d'Or. So what would you do if you were in charge? What would you change? What would you do to mm. get some Ballon d'Or winners out of this country? I mean, um, you know, it, it, it's the things that I see at sort of foundation phase, 9, 10, 11, you know, the, the players are encouraged to stay on the ball and, yep. and dribble and you have lots of 1v1 duels um all over the pitch and i think the more we can sort of keep that going um yeah. i think futsal is a fantastic development tool um it's really hard 
uh, when we've gone abroad to play in these futsal tournaments in Germany or wherever we've been, um, they have been they have really sort of um, exposed us in different ways, um, physically, technically, tactically, even psychologically, because they're short games. And um, can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know you have the um, the scoreboard and the clock on the side. So and it and it comes down and you know you have to deliver when it counts and yeah. deliver under pressure. Um, so um, I think playing different types of formats is is really important. But for for you know even older age groups, not just mm -hmm. sort of nines, tens, and elevens. And I think that that's what they seem to have done well abroad. Like the Spanish have this court mentality where they play basketball, they play futsal. You know they keep playing. Uh, various forms of of, of sport um, that very aligned to football uh, for longer maybe than we do, um, and you know the playing style and the tactical side I think is very important. So when people have said in the summer about Verratti, for example, I mean even in that Euros final, <clears throat> you know the amount of round the corner passes that were played in midfield and just lending the ball to each other, yeah. and um, you know, the, um, you know, someone like Insigne, who, you know, he's only a small player, yeah. but, um, you know, he's got outstanding shielding skills and, and um, receiving skills and the goal he scores against Belgium, you know. So I think, you know, why do the Italians produce top defenders, you know, for example, on a consistent basis? You know, I went to um, the semi-final, Italy, Spain, and I was very fortunate to be behind Chiellini and Benucci for the first half and yeah. they kind of broke the rules really in terms of what we would a lot of people would class as a good defender yeah. in terms of um they there was they didn't talk much you know um they didn't really sprint um they literally just scanned and skipped their way through the half you know it was as if <clears throat> Chiellini wasn't just scanning to see where his opponent was. It was to see where everybody was. Yeah. And then <clears throat> he would take his position off the other 21 out, 21 players, <clears throat> you know, and it was a real education, if you like, um, going to watch someone like Pirlo live. I know I sound like being biased here towards Italians, but, um, you know, watching Pirlo live and him getting man marked in a game, and the way that he sort of would kind of accept, right, I'm not going to get the ball much today, but I'm going to create space for others. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just playing with that intelligence. Yeah. And yeah, that, yeah. Um, and, you know, and that, um, you know, that technique as well. Um, so I think a lot of it does come down to us as coaches, um, me included, you know, being real students of the game, training our eye. Uh, just a couple of points out of that. Um, do, do you think, uh, as as um, as, a, as a country, as a as a coaching setup, as a nation, we've got out of this system of, for example, Insignia, for example, would he would he thrive in our academy system? I'm sure that might be the case at Arsenal. Would he thrive at a Cat Two Academy? Would he thrive somewhere somewhere else? Do you think actually we've got over those type of players? Also, you know, a, a coach that you would have you would have known about, um, uh, uh, you know, John, John Cartwright, who of course lamented, um, the, you know, structured 
coaching in this country as really mm. the sort of main catalyst for the death of the individual. Do you think we've got over those two things now? Do you think that, you know, we're, 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 we're entering a, a sort of renaissance of, uh, of creativity and uh, um, art? Yeah, I mean, um, oh, the, the death of the individual, I mean, that's got John written all over it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, yeah. he's got... <laughs> He gets a headline um, and, you know, I've got so much respect for him. Um, met him a few times, John. Um, and, um, yeah, he's someone I really look up to. But I think, you know, you can't label it as Cat 1s or they wouldn't do so well in Cat 2s because, you know, I've got, you know, having, you know, when, when the last year was at MK Dons, we were a Cat 3 and, yep. um, you know, I sort of um, hope that we sort of went, went some way in proving that you don't need heavy finances to develop players and um, and all the resources. So I, th I think it's not so much the category. I think it's um, maybe <clears throat> how our football's played in this country um, in at certain levels maybe um, doesn't suit a certain type of player. Yeah. Um, and um, I know the ball, the ball in play, I think, in League Two, is still around 48 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, you know, the amount of goals on set pieces is still mm -hmm. extremely high. Could be around 40%. <clears throat> um, do, 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 do you accept, though, that the small player, the small player in this country, is, would you say he's still at a disadvantage? Um, not necessarily at a disadvantage. I just think that um, they have to be at a specific club with a specific coach in a specific system yeah. to have any chance because if they go on loan to League Two where the pass completion of teams could be anything between 50 and 60%. Yeah. Um, so it's not a possession-based yeah. um, environment you're in. And, you know, I've got, having been in that first team football, I've got, absolutely no problems with that because managers you know are six games away from the sack so yep. they have to do what what they need to do to stay in a job but <clears throat> for for our players maybe um they need to go on loan to a different type of club might be abroad yeah um yeah. i think um clubs that have the model where they've got nursery clubs or yep. clubs abroad is a good model to have because mm -hmm. they're then being coached by your your coaches yep. and um and they're also in your playing style, yeah, your style as well. I mean, I watched um, New York City against Portland Timbers the other night. Yeah. Um, my kids managed to stay up and watch that at 10 o'clock at night because it went to a penalty shootout. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, New York, New York were practically identical to Man City in terms of playing a 4-3-3. Three, three, and obviously yeah. they're in the, under that same umbrella. Yeah. And we'll have, like you talked about before, same methodology, etc. Yeah. So... I think those sorts of models can help players um, and um, and also I think the fact that the championship is becoming a lot more technical. I mean, you've only got to look at Swansea this year. I mean, their, their statistics are unbelievable. 800-odd um, passes a game. I think they had 800 passes away at Barnsley. Um, so the more sort of Russell Martins we have in this country, I think the, the better will be for our players. I think he played, I know they got beat the weekend, but he played um, a midfielder in, in his back three. 
Yeah. And um, regardless of the scoreline, you right. know, from what I read, he played well when yeah. I watched that game back. But yeah. I've, I've learned quite a lot from watching Swansea this year. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, they've got a really brave manager and a, and a manager who um, is really clear on the sort of players he wants and how he wants to do things. And, um, and he accepts that it's not always going to result in winning games. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think we are getting these types of managers now in our in our leagues, and um, that can only be beneficial to our young players. Good, good. Um, okay, let's get through some of the uh, questions. Um, let's get uh, Carlos on. Um, Carlos, can you hear us? Are you there, Carlos? Hi, Carlos. Hi there. Can you hear me? Yeah, got you, got you. What, what? Um, you you type your question, but but ask ask Dan your question. Perfect. Uh, first of all, thank you for the presentation of today. Uh, and my question would be about the organization of the different, uh, <laughs> let's say, squads on the academies. Since we are talking about uh, academies and the players' development, my question would be uh, in terms of. When, when we define, for example, a model of playing and when we define for all the academy, uh, for example, my question would be if it makes sense for all the teams in the academy, for example, to play, uh, in this case, to attack and to defend in the same tactical system, so in the same structure, uh, let's give an example, the 4-3-3, it's only an example, uh, and the same principles, or you, do you believe that is important for the young players to gather as much as different experience as possible in order to work the game understandment and the brain flexibility, like say, like, let's say like this, in order to understand the game and to learn how to make functional decisions in different game situations. This is my, my question. I hope it was clear. Uh, if it wasn't, uh... no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that was fine. I got brain flexibility in there. I love that one. Uh, Dan, um, what's your answer? Yeah, thank you for the question. Um, yeah, I, I think that um, the style is more important than the system. Um, I think that um, as long as the style um, is consistent, and by that I mean the principles, the sub-principles, how you, how you want to um, attack and defend, I think... Um, then off the back of that, the system really should suit the personnel you have. Um, so you might have one age group that has a lot of wingers, um, and then you might have another age group that has a lot of number nines. Um, and I, I'm not really a fan of, um, I think if you play players out of position, then um, unless you've got a good rationale for doing it, um, you know, for, for them to develop different aspects of their game or take them out of their comfort zone, whatever it might be, unless you're doing that, you're not really, you're putting a square peg into a round hole. Um, and I think, again, going back to Ballon d'Or winners, we made that mistake with Paul Scholes here, where we played 4-4-2 and he played left midfield. And a lot of um, world-class world -class players, Jezabis of this world, spoke very highly of somebody like him. But um, you know, we couldn't get Gerard and Lampard to play together, but he could have played. They could have played together, maybe in a diamond with Michael Carrick behind them. And then Paul Scholes as the number 10, as an example. 
David Beckham might not like that answer. He'll be saying, <laughs> where am I playing in that? But I'm not yeah. sure he's listening to this, so I'm okay. Um, but, um, you know, so I think, you know, having that creativity tactically to, to get the best out of your individuals is the key. Um, going back to the Euros this year, the way Mancini, after 30 minutes, sort of flipped his shape and pushed Emerson on, brought in senior inside, and he sort of created... Um, I mean, it was a a three two five, uh, but at times it looked like a box. It looked like a diamond, and it got it got Insignia away from Carl Walker, um, basically, um, and he got him in between the lines, and it got Benucci, um, Chiellini, and Jorginho overloading Kane. Um, so I think you, and all of a sudden, Italy are getting sixty six percent possession. But on paper, if you put Italy's team lineup down and England's, you know, it'd be another, I don't know if we've got time for it tonight, but it would be an interesting one in terms of how many, how many would you take? Yeah. And I, I, I would say you'd take a couple of more England players than you would Italy, but yet they had the 66% possession. Um, so I think the system is very important to um, play to you, you, the individuals you have. Um, and I think playing different systems is a good thing for players, um, provided that the, the principles are very consistent and the movements and, the, um, and, and what you're demanding of them um, with and without the ball. Do you, do, you, do, you want, do you want to come back to Dan on that? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you want to come back to Dan on that? Perfect. Yeah, because my question uh, was specifically to, and because in my in my opinion, when we talk about development of young football players, what we want the best is for them to be creative and for that for them to understand the game. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we close the players, this is of course my opinion. Uh, but if we close the players to defend only in one single way or to attack in one single way. I mean, if we are Barcelona, I mean, I think we can do that, but it's the most exclusive academy in the world, in my opinion, because has the strongest identity probably in the football world. But the majority of the clubs wouldn't have this kind of culture. Of course, that we have our idea of how we want to play, but, uh, but my doubt was if we go only in one single way, how can we develop players that understand the game? Because let's imagine this scenario. We are working on an academy like Arsenal, for example, a pathetical scenario. We are working in an academy like Arsenal and all the teams um, defend and play in one single way. I, I don't know if it is the case, that's not the point. And let's say that the players go to the first team and uh, the, the first team, for example, which this happens sometimes in the clubs, the first team defends in the same way, but then after a few months, there is a new coach that comes to the new club and change completely the conception of how the team play. And probably this player that in the beginning was actually comfortable, now he's struggling too because he was not prepared during his youth ages, let's say like this, to create another kind of solutions to different problems. So this was my, my idea. I think that what is important is to prepare them for the most diverse contexts, like say like this, or to play 
in a different system or even with a different kind of football. And that's why my question, I mean, I don't know if you can talk yeah, about no, no. specifically the, the, the case of Arsenal, if how they structured this, this idea, what is the conception, but was just to, to give this point. Sorry if it was too long. No, no, absolutely. Thank you for your question. I want you to, I'm just going to stop it there because you've just touched on a, a point of um, somebody else has asked a very similar co uh, a question. So I want to bring them in. Um, down as Crow Coach, so hopefully um, uh, they can hear me calling. Um, are you ready to unmute yourself? Crow Coach? No? Well, they asked, they asked a question uh, which was very similar to that, uh, which was, uh, what happens when you come to work at a club, Dan, which is a completely different playing philosophy and view on the game to your own? Do you just throw out your own ideas and completely adapt to the club ideas? What, 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 how would you answer that question? And I guess that, that merges on to the point that Carlos was making as well. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I've, been, I've been quite fortunate that everywhere I've gone to work, they've known what what I'm about and I've known what they're about so I think that's an ideal scenario where whether it's in an interview process or whatever when you're meeting them prior to having chats and you're sharing you, your vision etc um, you want to see that you're both aligned and you're going to get autonomy and freedom to uh, get your ideas across I think um, ultimately if you go and work somewhere and you know they, they pay your wages so if, if they're asking you to put it in the channel and you don't believe in it you've got two choices you either do it or you know you won't be there very long um and i guess that depends on your um how much you want the job and and how, you know uh, what your financial situation is um so yeah i think you always have to respect who you're working for um and um, the culture, the traditions, the values of that club, um, and um, and adhere to that. So, um, you know, if, if I would find it very difficult personally to coach in a different way and play in a different way. Um, so, but you know, it, it, you have to be adaptable as well as a coach. You know, when I worked at first team level, you know, you're in a in a scenario where it is all about results. And you might not have the players who are either capable of playing your game model or want to. Mm. Um, and, and until you have time to get the, the right players in to, to play your way, you've got a choice to make. You can either be stubborn and make them play a certain way and you're not going to be there um, too long or you're going to um, play to their strengths like we talked about before and play to what's going to help you win the game. Excellent. Uh, let's bring in another question. Um, Romy. Um... Evening. Good evening. How are you? Good, thank you. Thank you so much, first of no all, problem. for uh, um, taking my questions. Uh, and, um, thank you for your time and your knowledge for sharing uh, everything with us here tonight. Uh, my question is, um, I've been in a, a coaching, um, grassroots coaching for five years now, and um, I've come across lots of players um, with uh, some outstanding players and some, you know, okay, 
it seems to me that all the academies are seem to be attracted a lot to bigger boys who are not necessarily very much technical, rather some uh, compared to some smaller boys who are much quicker, much technical, low gravity, uh, center of gravity. And uh, what is the, the mythology behind this? Is it because they think in physicality can be taught, but the race can be? Um, well, I think, um, I think we've got to be careful really with the, um, you know, how, how we view the, um, early developer as well as the late developer. I, I actually think that the late developer, um, gets at times, um, more leeway, um, and, and, a, and an early developer, um, you know, is viewed as, you know, they can't win really because of their size, the expectation goes up a lot. And, um, and maybe they, they get, um, you know, their development that doesn't, doesn't get the attention that, um, you know, a late developer does. So I think, um, I, I, I just think in football, there's, there's space for both types. You know, it's not, it's not. It's a sport which can cater for all all shapes and sizes. And um, you know, I think a lot of things have been done in this country in recent years. You know, the um, awareness of relative age effect. Yep. Um, I've seen trials for summerborn players. Uh, we we introduced something at the FA where um, we split our under fifteen training camps into. Um, months so January to April borns only for this camp then it was May to August then it was September to December so you know we were we were encouraging the scouts to get players who were born across the whole year because there was a, a birth bias so not necessarily size but more time of the year sure. um, that they were born yeah. I mean, at the, a foundation phase, sorry, at the foundation phase is a massive difference. Um, uh, the, the biological birth with um, um, football uh, birth, or how do you call it, uh, football uh, ability. Mm. Um, some of those uh, players were September born. Of course, they're pretty much some of them are eight, nine months uh, more experienced than mm. their peers. Mm. Um, but as you go uh, higher, let's say under 16s and 17s, it doesn't really matter as much. But mm -hmm. at the really early foundation phase, under nines, under tens, it's it's massive. Mm. Yeah. So, um, are are those academies specifically targeting um, bigger boys because of their um, size and hoping that everything else will be uh, catching up later? Um, I, I mean, it's a difficult one to answer because everyone's got their different strategy. Um, you know, I think ultimately, um, from what I'm aware of, um, you know, clubs more look at um, the technical skills mm. and, and how efficient these young boys move uh, rather than um, the, the height um, mm -hmm. and of course 
you want some you want you know some some you know that when when they get to the first team level you want height in your team you know particularly yeah. as like we said before how important set pieces is but you also want you know the the, the shorter boys as well so um is there um a preference of one to the other i think that's very much the pace the dependent on um i know of clubs that do a very much on pace and power yeah. and size mm -hmm. definitely that definitely happens but it doesn't happen everywhere um it, it's i think it's very much on um the the philosophy of that club yeah, thank thanks. you thanks Romy. nice one excellent um well we've come to nine o'clock that's gone like that for um uh, for me um, just as a final um, remark, Dan, how do you see player and coach development, you know, heading really in this country over the last year? I think you've generally spoke pretty positively um, around uh, the E P system. Um, do you see the E P system being in situ as it is now in ten years' time? Do you see clubs? Do you see all clubs having academies like they do, or more following the Brentford model? Um, and generally, what's your outlook for us producing good players and good coaches over the next 10 years? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, we, we've, we're in a good place. I think we can't stand still. We can't, you know, get complacent. I think the England national team success is some evidence of good work that's going on um, because it's very hard to play in the Premier League because of the money that's there, um, you know, so I think that um, the fact that that's raised the standard that you have to be to play in the Premier League and the fact that Gareth's got, you know, a decent number of players to choose from and, you know, we, and, and also the, 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 um, the fact that they're playing Champions League football and to a high level and they're being educated from, you know, some of the best managers in the world um, is obviously a positive. So I think, I think we're definitely heading in the right direction, looking at the England team um, and obviously the success that the youth teams had over the years. Again, that needs to be repeated. You know, it, it can't just be a one-off summer. Um, you know, the Spanish have done it and the French and Germans have done it repeatedly at youth level and in the right way as well. Um, mm -hmm. So, um, and when I say the right way, you know, I think the England under-17s did because what some people forget is they actually won that World Cup without Jaden Sancho and Ryan Sessegnon. Um, because Jaden went home after the group stage and Ryan was playing up in the 19s. So, um, you know, the... Um, so we're heading in the right direction. I think, um, you know, we have to keep um, staying current in our coaching courses about what the modern game looks like, what training training looks like, methods look like. They're always evolving. Um, and, um, you know, if you coach now like you did 10 years ago, then, you know, there's going to be something wrong because there's always fresh ideas out there and different ways of doing things. So, you know, I'm, I'm learning every day. Um, from whether it's the people I work with or the people I watch work. Mm. Um, so I think that that's all you can do is try and try and improve on a consistent basis and um, never stand still because the game finds you out.
Absolutely. Um, and thank you so much uh, for your time this evening. Um, some absolutely fascinating points that, that I've, um, uh, I've put down. And I think we got I think we got to our Miss Ballon d'Or player in Paul Scholes. He absolutely could have been a Ballon d'Or winner, couldn't he? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, let's not forget someone like Rio Ferdinand, who, again, was in that England team. And uh, we've been fortunate to have Rio um, in our Arsenal, uh, inspiring our young players, and we had him with England. And, you know, he's another example of somebody who um, could have been even better yeah. Uh, with the talent he had and that's no fault of his own again it's system of play style of play that didn't really bring out I'd love to have seen him playing for you know Man United fans won't like me saying this but for a Guardiola and yeah. seeing what, what what he could have been but um, you know we've we, you know, we, we've had the players that's for sure yeah, yeah. I, I had Paul Scholes and Steve all written down as my two but Miss Ballon d'Or players but maybe who the, sorry the, Steve Ball uh, but <laughs> maybe that was a bit over. maybe that was a bit close to home uh absolutely fantastic dan want to wish you all the best not only for christmas but for the for the rest and of the season as well i wait to see some more of the players um coming through at arsenal i think for all of us involved in player and coach development whatever level that you're you're working at it's always great to see um uh, young domestic players get opportunities um uh, 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 top clubs like Arsenal. So to see a few and potentially some more come through at Arsenal is really exciting for, for everybody else. So uh, keep up the good work there. Um, to everybody that's tuned in, really, really appreciate it. We'll be sending out the link uh, for this as a podcast um, over the next few days. So please feel free to listen back um, and, and also share. Um, we've got our guests in the new year pretty much booked in. So we'll also be sharing a information about who they will be um, over the coming weeks but I hope everybody has a fantastic Christmas um, and New Year and we will see you again in January and thanks again Merry Christmas. Take care everybody